love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we hear these words and we think, what an impossibility. <laughs> but Lord, we know that nothing is impossible for you. And so, Father, as we look at this passage, um, this, this letter to the Romans, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and that these words can be lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hmm. Here's my question this morning. How? How? How can one not be overcome by evil in this world, in this day and age? Wednesday of this past week in Memphis was the funeral of Tyree Nichols. He was a black man beaten by five police officers after a traffic stop. Care on the scene was intentionally delayed. He died three days later in the hospital. The officers have been fired and charged with a number of felonies, second degree murder included. Investigation continues. Disgustingly, this horrendous reality is not new. We've been swarmed with these experiences in our society quite frequently, except this one was a little different. It was a little different. With this one, if you're black in America, you may have felt a sense of betrayal. Or if you're an oppressed minority in America, you too may have also felt a sense of betrayal. Now, why would I say that? Because the five police officers that beat Tyree Nichols 
till he was barely alive, were black. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you're not black, you're not angered by this. That's not what I'm saying. Anyone and everyone who saw or read what happened should be outraged. Now, what I am saying is that being black in America is such a defining reality in one's life that it typically produces, uh, uh, by default, a type of community and camaraderie with other black Americans. There's an unspoken connectedness of, I see you, I got you. Society that may not see us, but we see each other and we're gonna look out for each other. When I'm on the subway on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and I pass by a black brother or sister, I see you, I got you. If you're a minority living and working in the spaces of white privilege, I see you, I got you. Without speaking, there is something that we both understand. We're in the same boat. But then you have tragedies like this where the victim is wronged by their own who are in positions of authority. And it reminds us that evil has no face. And that the depths of human depravity and wickedness cannot be overcome by camaraderie through shared ethnic background or even shared, a shared earthly experience. We are often shocked when we hear of stories where people are hurt or betrayed by their own. But I've realized I've got to stop being shocked because this is the way of this world. And the depths of human depravity and wickedness can only be overcome by a bond, by a powerful tie that runs deeper than the earthly ties we have ever known. When we see stories like Tyree Nichols or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, when we look at the migrant and refugee situation in New York, when we begin reading about the plotted and planned actions over time of people in power mapping out the downfall of blacks and other minorities in America. And then we, we look at the global mess of a world that we live in, the war in Ukraine, the Rwandan genocide and its aftermath, and many other atrocities that I could keep listing for hours and hours. When we see these things, I ask, how? How can one not be overcome by evil? How? It seems like an impossibility. A synonymous question would be, how do I keep my heart from getting hard? From turning cold? How do I keep my heart from becoming cold and lifeless? How do I overcome evil with good? We are 
angered by the killings, by injustice. We are often unable to, to, to process or grieve thoroughly one tragedy before the next one strikes. Too many blows with no healing in between is a recipe for being overcome with evil. Or developing a calloused heart. Some say we must become hardened to handle the reality of the world. That remaining, in, uh, remaining warm in a place of coldness is a hopeless endeavor. But for the believer, this is what scripture says. In the letter to the Romans, Paul highlights the heart of the gospel. That because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, anyone, Jew or Gentile in that case, anyone, meaning anyone, any background, any, any human being on this planet, Anyone who believes can have deliverance from a life of sin and receive power from the Spirit of God to live a life of righteousness, right doing, right thinking, right motives, living in harmony with God. That's what righteousness is. By chapter 12, he describes what the gospel lived out looks like in a community of believers and what the life of a believer looks like in the world around them. This is the hope that we're looking for. This is the reality that brings enough warmth to fight off the cold world, Paul says. He says, this experience should be taking place in a community of believers where the gospel has changed lives. And so then Paul then concludes that section by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But Paul prefaces this section, verses 9 through 21, he prefaces this, this statement, and really the rest of chapter 12, in the beginning by saying in verse 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, he says this. He begins the chapter this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't get to Romans 12, 21 or even 9, 21. Remember that? I'll just briefly highlight for you some things that Paul listed, right? 9, 21, he, it says... Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be hot. He, this long list, you can't get there without verse 1 and 2. You can't get to verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, without first Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, being a living sacrifice and being transformed. 
Paul tells us, look, all that I'm talking about, all that I'm listing here, is not possible without first the experience of verse 1 and 2, sacrifice and transformation. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want to look at that. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, excuse me, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. The way sacrifice is used here indicates that, that something, something was slaughtered, something was killed, something died, something was put to death. So a sacrifice is something that has died. And in this case, it's because of sin. But what Paul is talking about right here is a living sacrifice. Living. This is something that has died and now lives. Something that has experienced a resurrection. Now, listen to what Paul has been saying in, uh, previously in his letter to the Romans. And by chapter 12, he's simply just reiterating what he's already talked about in previous chapters. Look at what Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's not it. He says this, Romans 6, 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 8, 10 and 11 says, but if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Now, maybe you didn't catch all that. In the words of Paul, a living sacrifice is a person that has died to their old self and now is resurrected to their new self and is alive to God and the spirit of God lives within you. The old Michelle is dead. The new Michelle lives. The scripture says that is worship. Worship is not simply an act on Sabbath morning. It's a life lived in harmony with God. That's worship. If you have died in Christ, that is a sacrifice. If you have then risen to new life in Jesus by his spirit, that is now a living sacrifice the rebirth 
the conversion. And if you allow yourself to become a living sacrifice, then the Lord will seek to align your daily life to be in harmony with his will. Part of that plan is to give us a new heart. In a place of the stony one that we had, of the dead one, of the calloused one, he gives us a new one and he makes sure it remains soft. How is one not to be overcome with evil in this world? but instead overcome evil with good. Scripture says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship? Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We know that. We're trying to answer this question. How do we not become uh, uh, overcome with evil? Someone who has given themselves as a living sacrifice to God or also known as a child of God or also known as a, 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 a reborn believer conforms to God's principles of right and wrong. They conform to God's principles of what is just and true. When they look out at the darkness of the world, they see pain, tragedy, injustice, and evil through the perspective of how God sees it. Mind and perspective change is the transformation that has to happen to prevent conforming to certain principles of the world that are not in harmony with God or the kingdom of heaven for that matter. You have to change. You have to see things differently. Especially in response to matters of justice and mercy. You know, the life of Jesus will forever be awe-inspiring. For eternity, we'll be talking about it because the more pain and the more tragedy he saw, the more hate he received, the warmer his engagement was. The darker it got, the brighter he burned. When it came to confronting darkness in the hearts of humanity, he only shared more compassion and more love. He poured forth more of himself, which ultimately led to his sacrifice on the cross. Wow. It's a divine thing. Ellen G. White, one of the influential voices of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, she had an article, <clears throat> a commentary on uh, a passage in Matthew. She wrote it in the Review and Herald. The passage in Matthew says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
but they that endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And so she said in response to that scripture, that was Matthew uh, chapter, let me get that for you, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 and 13. So in response to that scripture, this is what she said, a part, portion of a quote. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. Wow. Wow. The children of God, in, in response to the dark realities of our world, dare I say, respond counterculturally to societal expectations. They are not pushovers, they are not cowards, but they possess a type of divinely given balance that allows them to understand what's happening and take action when it comes to justice, mercy, and compassion in response to evil and pain in the world. And so in verses 9 through 21, as Paul is painting a picture of how believers should engage with one another and how they should engage with the world outside of their spiritual community, we look at that and say, this is something divine. But don't be confused. The behavior inside a spiritual community must be the same outside. If it's warm in here, seek to make it warm out there too. When the way we live creates a community of genuine love for others, it revives hope in a world that is hopeless. You counteract darkness with light. And none of, none of this is possible without the power of God. None of this is possible without first allowing yourself to become a living sacrifice and having a transformed mind and heart by the Spirit of God. I started this message attempting to answer the question of how not to be overcome by evil. And I hope that you realize that without God, it's an impossibility. Evil is too big for any human to fight. It's too big. It's too much. Christ within you, the hope of glory, must arise in your heart and continually give you a fresh dose of love, of joy, of patience, of peace, of goodness, of perspective. We must practice that genuine love here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and then take that practice out to the world. It is the Spirit of God that must change your mind and change your heart. Change cannot come of itself. We can do minor remodels on ourselves, but transformation breaking down a house and building it again 
That's the work of God. And sadly, the trajectory of society tells us that more offenses will come. More tragedies will happen. More injustices will take place. Racism will continue to manifest itself. More women and children will be assaulted. More black men will be jailed and killed. More innocent people will be tried. More will be condemned. It's not over yet. But the question is, do these things make us numb? Does it make us hate those in power? Or does it make us work more fervently for equality and justice? Does it break our hearts and make us evaluate our own lives to see if there are any patterns of hate in here, what is our response? Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Here is my appeal. May our hunger for justice be the fuel for dignified action. May our hurt and pain be the catalyst for deeper compassion. May the love of God in our hearts be the victory that overcomes the world. Only God can make our hearts soft and then keep them that way. May our hearts not grow cold, but burn warm with the love of God. May this be our prayer, and may and I pray that this will also be our experience. Amen.